0: Message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Come against us, the things that have been spoken over us, and the things that have happened to us. They do cause veils to come in our understanding where we really struggle sometimes to hear and to see, in fact, the reality. When Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, that word can be translated reality. You will know the reality, and the reality will set you free. So this morning, we're going to have some look at some scriptures and believing that, in fact, as we do this, as we turn to the Word of God, His voice and His Spirit will open our eyes And that we would see again through these veils, you know. The Bible talks about a veil where it spoke about how the reading of the law caused a veil to form on the hearts of those hearing it. And we know, in fact, that that uh, teaching of the law, which effectively says, well, if you will do that, then God will do this. That effectively does put a veil on our hearts because it actually communicates to us the idea That all these great things of God that we have, as we mentioned this morning, the promises of God, are not for now. They're for later. And so if you believe that, you can live your whole life waiting for God to do what he's already done. And uh, this is this little uh, PowerPoint I have this morning. And I want to begin with a scripture in 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. As workers together with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I want to ask you a question this morning. What happens when we don't live in that? When we don't live in the now? What happens when we're brought up to believe that in fact it's been the by and by. It'll be somewhere else in heaven one day, but not now. The Bible says this in fact is what happens. Proverbs 13 verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. Another translation says when the dream is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. Deferred, hope deferred, deferred means delayed. I always feel very sorry at this time of year, when you see on the television that poor people who've been working hard all year to get a holiday get to the airport and there's an air traffic controller strike. And they are left sitting there. Has this ever happened to anybody where nobody tells you when the plane's coming? I mean, it's coming, but nobody tells you. It drives you absolutely, it drives people to despair. It really sickens people. There's nothing more sickening than to be sitting there and not be told, but when? Is the plane coming? And then it's coming, and then it's not coming, and then it's coming. I saw a picture on the internet last year of a a near riot that had broken out in Gatwick Airport, where this had happened. There'd be some delay in some flight. And I'll tell you what happened. The toilets broke down in in the north terminal. And there was one toilet for about a 1,000 people. And the photograph was of a policeman standing (laughs) on a desk trying to appease a crowd that was nearly in riot. (laughs) Poor guy. I felt sorry for him. But, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It sickens people's hearts. And remember, when the Bible speaks about heart, it's speaking about what you're believing. It's speaking about our belief system, uh, the persuasion. As a man thinks, so he is. So if we've been waiting and waiting and waiting uh, to reach your dream or to reach your goal, and you appear to be continually disappointed, all those delays are damaging, are sickening your ability to believe that you'll finally, or you'll ever, get there. Disappointment can be crushing. There's a scripture that says, in fact, that a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Do you remember that scripture? It's Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. If your hope is continually delayed, continually delayed, continually delayed to some future date, and you never seem to arrive at the place that you want to be in, that experience will suck the life out of you. Your heart, what you're believing, uh, is intended to be a spring of life. Uh, The Bible talks about that spring, doesn't it? It says, guard your heart. It is a spring of life. If that spring really gets dried up, and instead of at the center of your being, there being like a well-watered garden, instead if there's like a desert, then out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we know what comes out of a desert is briars and thorns and all sorts of snakes and all sorts of stuff. So if my heart is crushed, if my spirit has been crushed through disappointment, disappointment, then you know what starts to come out of my mouth? Cynicism. It's a terrible thing to speak to a cynical Christian who's been so disappointed with people that really now it's very difficult for them to say anything positive. What you're hearing is a dried-up riverbed of a heart, you know, where there's no life sort of flowing as such. And, uh, and that's what happens. Now, if you always are trying to get somewhere and never seem to arrive, and it sucks the life out of you, there's only one cure. Arriving at your dream. Arriving at your dream destination. Think of all those poor people who are finally getting to Spain and putting their suitcases down and go, praise the Lord, you know. Arriving at your dream. A dream fulfilled is a tree of life that's the other part of that uh, scripture. Uh, a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, I thought that was a very strange thing to say, a funny turn of phrase. A desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. So, I began to look up what's the meaning of the word tree in, uh, in the Hebrew, and it's a word I can't even pronounce, but it listed in Strong's Concordance a list of different names for the word tree, and one of them really jumped out at me. I'll read them to you. That word can mean Tree, wood, timber, stock, plank, stalk, stick, or gallows. Gallows. A dream fulfilled is a gallows? Well, what gallows? Gallows is a place of death. I mean, what place of death ever brought life? Can anybody answer that question? That's the cross, isn't it? What the Lord is saying is this is the tree of life. It's at the cross that all of our life comes from. Hope delayed, deferred, sucks the light out of, the life out of us, but all of our dreams were fulfilled at the gallows of life at the cross. Praise God. See, the cross is like the great dividing time, the great dividing line in history, both in time and in experience of mankind. It marks the end of one age and the beginning of another because it marks the end of the first Adam. First Adam died at the cross. Praise God. In fact, I read something during the week. I thought was astonishing. You know, very often you can read uh, history about things that are in the Bible, uh, people who are in the Bible, but the uh, but the Bible doesn't say what happened to them next. I read a couple examples of this. You know, one was the Philippian jailer. Do you remember the Philippian jailer? He actually became the bishop of Philippi, and uh, later in his in his life, um, he travelled Europe looking for Paul to give him money, and you'll see his name is mentioned in the, in, in the book of Philippians. I remember reading as well about the woman who Jesus met at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. She led so many people to Christ that eventually she was martyred. They killed her by throwing her down a well. You know, they were fed up by hearing about Jesus at the well. She didn't mind, praise the Lord. And also, there is a rabbinical teaching, which is very strange. It was believed uh, by the rabbis for many years, even before Christ, that apparently an angel came to tell Adam where he should die. And so this angel led him across the face of the earth, and he laid down at a certain place, and he died at that certain place. And that's the place where the first Adam died. And they called that place the place of the skull, Golgotha. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, I wouldn't be at all surprised. I wouldn't be at all surprised. God has a beautiful way of making things so simple, so clear. Yes, this is the place where the first Adam dies. This is the place, praise God. So the cross really marks that place. Although the first Adam died, because he was the federal head of the human race, sin and death came into the world through him and affects all men. We understand what we mean by a federal head. Do you remember when uh, Samson, or sorry, when uh, it was Goliath against David, and remember Goliath came and said, listen, I'll be our champion. And you you pick a champion. And whatever happens to your champion happens to the whole lot. And if you defeat me, we're all defeated. That's the federal head. Well, the first Adam is like the federal head. Whatever happened to him happened to the whole of mankind. The last Adam, he's also the federal head of all who will believe in him. Praise God. So through the first Adam came sin and death. But through the last Adam came righteousness and eternal life. But the question is when? When did that happen? When did that come to you and I? The cross brought to an end the first Adam's time and brought man to the time or the day of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, in order that, listen to this, in order that man could live in God's time. And this is what I want to tell you this morning about God's time. And this is the, the name of this message. In God's eternal life, the time is always now. Now, this is a mystery, because you will not understand this with your natural mind. It's something that you will, and I I speak this morning, I really believe that the Holy Spirit will show you an understanding of what this means, because you've all had an experience of this in your own life. If you're here this morning, for instance, and you were born again in a meeting one day, maybe many years ago, you remember what happened to you on that day. That wasn't the first time you heard the gospel. But on that night, inside of you, you felt a word come up. Now. Now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. And you see, I'm going to tell you this morning that every time we interact with eternity, with the life of God, and God has placed eternity within each one of us, there comes up before us this word, now. It's a beautiful thing. For that glorious eternal life of God to be seen in our lives, our minds, though, have to be renewed. There has to be a renewing taking place of the house, as it were, so that in God's eternal life, the time is always now, that our minds would be renewed to that truth. So in God's eternal life, and the Bible has a word for that, in Christ, if you're a believer here this morning, that's where you are, you are in Christ, you are in eternal life, In God's eternal life, in Christ, now you are righteous. In Christ, now you are healed. In Christ, now you have been abundantly provided for. In Christ, now you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because in God's eternal time, the time is always now. In God's eternal life, all the promises of God, and we heard that this morning, are yes and amen. When? Now. Now, we find this hard to believe, for we've been brought up in a world that has lived apart from experiencing God's eternal life, apart from God's now. So, if in God's eternal life the time is always now, in fallen man's temporal life in this world, the time appears to be not yet. Oh, can anybody say amen to that? Oh, it's not yet. Oh, I'm sitting in this church this morning, everybody else knows God, not me. Not yet. It's always somebody else who's blessed. It's always somebody else who's a great testimony. What about me? You're living in Kronos time. That's the time of the natural man, where everything is not yet. You know, man-made religion is a product of man's natural senses. For the natural man can only see that the time of God's help is not yet. So for a Christian to talk as if God's blessings, his righteousness, his wisdom, his whole and healed life, are his now, appears utterly foolish to the natural man. For anyone can see naturally that I don't appear to be yet righteous, or yet healed, or yet blessed. 1 Corinthians 2.14 confirms that the natural man, the revelations of the Spirit of God to him, are foolishness. We know that passage so well. I think the Amplified says, in fact, that To the natural man, these things of God that we speak about this morning are absurd. They are illogical. They don't make any sense. But the Apostle Paul, in fact, we should say the Holy Spirit, if you believe the Holy Spirit is the author of the word, he exhorts the Corinthians right the way through those letters not to live like mere natural men, waiting their entire lives for God to do something, waiting for him to hear them waiting for him to help them. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, pleads with Christians that they have been given not the spirit of the world, not the spirit of not yet, but you have been given the spirit that comes from God, that you may know the things which have been freely given. When? Now. In Christ, now. Look at what the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul in his generation and tell me that the Holy Spirit is not saying the same thing to our generation. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now, to the naturally-minded church, waiting for God to hear them, waiting for God to help them, is he still not saying to them, we plead with you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Now, Brian spoke this morning about that uh, vision, as it were, of how it's possible to live from one realm while walking in another. You know? And that's what we're called to do as believers. We're called to be thinking from now. You see... If I really believe that I already have all these things in Christ, you know the effect of that in my life? I can be patient. I can't be patient if I really think that God has not heard me yet. I'm going to be agitated. I'm going to be concerned, you see. It's quite an amazing thing, isn't it, really, to know in your spirit that everything's going to be okay when your whole house is upside down, when the whole world is losing its head around you. That's the witness of the believer, you see. It's you in your peace and in your rest, in the midst of all the turmoil around you, that speaks to this world that there is another world. There is another reality. In fact, a true reality. Someone once said that physical reality is 1% of reality. Think about that for a moment. Wow. Praise God. And we have all this reality to walk in that God wants to show us. What do we always say here? We're scratching the surface. We're scratching the surface of the goodness of God. Even scientists, and I'm just thinking about this now, scientists say that our, our brain, we're only using... Uh, What is it, 10% of it? And some people aren't even using that much. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So the more religious, the more naturally minded we are as Christians, the more we will spend our lives waiting around for God to hear us, waiting around for God to help us, if we refuse the gift of righteousness. If we refuse to believe that we now are righteous in God's sight because of what Christ has done, then we'll never feel ready for eternal life. For we'll keep making righteousness about us and our life instead of about Christ and his life. Oh, the whole of Creation is waiting for the sons of God to begin to operate in eternal life. But we've been brought up to believe that eternal life starts when you die. That's the way I was brought up to believe. I don't know about you. In man's fallen temporal life in this world, the time appears to be not yet. Do you remember when Moses met the Lord at the burning bush? And he said, who who am I going to say sent me? What did he say? Tell him I am. Tell him I am. He said, God only knows one time in eternity. It's now. It's now. This is a beautiful thing. You see, when we get a revelation in that eternity, it's always now that God is immutable, that things don't change. You will stop wasting your time trying to, what's the phrase, guilt trip God into blessing you. God, look at the way I'm suffering. Look what I've put up with. I mean, it must be my time by now. Lord is saying, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes. In God's eternal life, the time is always now. So Christian, believer in Christ, now you have eternal life. Now. Now you are provided for. Now you have zozo, salvation, spirit, soul, and body, flowing from your spirits out in that order. So I cannot stand here and speak to Christians as mere natural men and women and say to you that if you keep coming to church and avoiding sin and living a good life, Then one day God will hear you, and one day God will help you. One day you'll be righteous, one day you'll be sanctified, and one day you'll be redeemed. That's a gospel for religious, natural men and women. That's not the glorious gospel for the sons of God. For they know that the day has already come. For when Christ came, he brought God's eternal life. And in God's eternal life, the time is always Praise the Lord. What does this glorious gospel say you received when you received Christ? For he became for us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's the fourth tenet of the apostolic church, by the way. The justification and the sanctification of the believer. Not by his life, but by the finished work of Christ. Praise God. You have been made holy. Now, if we begin to live in that eternal now, it's amazing how you can begin to have fellowship and begin to hear the voice of God like you've never heard before. Because the greatest thing stopping you from hearing the voice of God is sitting here this morning in this church, saying to yourself, "Well, everybody here has been a Christian for years. They probably can hear from. I've never heard God never speak to me. If God saw where I was last Wednesday, yes, He did see where you were on Wednesday night, and He did see what you were saying last night. Praise God, He's seen it all." And praise God, he's given you sanctification, redemption. He's given you everything in Christ. This has got to be the best news in the world. Praise God. But you know, when we, get a, when we learn to receive it, begin to live in it, it just becomes a river flowing through us. We, we just have to tell people. I bet David Dyer this morning is telling everybody he's got a son, you know? I bet he's not sitting around thinking, I wonder how I'll tell Phelan. Hmm. I wonder how I'll tell. God, it's going to be difficult to speak about it, isn't it? I don't think so. I think when you know, praise God, the joy of new life, you just can't shut up about it, you know. And I believe that this teaching that we are righteous in Christ is setting the church free so that there'll be such a, a, a river of joy going through the church that you'll never need to run an evangelistic program ever again in a church to teach Christians how to witness because they can't shut up. Because they've got a revelation of who they are in Christ and how much they've been given. So if you want me to treat you, a Christian, as a mere natural man or woman, then I will say to you what all religions say, that you're obviously not saved or healed yet. But one day, probably if you clean your life up enough, you will be, on that great day, saved and healed. But if you want me to treat you as a son of God, an entirely new creation, someone who draws their life from the last Adam, the life-giving spirit, then I must say, no matter how foolish or no matter how offensive To the natural ears, your physical senses, despite how offensive it sounds, I must say to you that in Christ you are now justified. You are now sanctified. You are now healed. You are now provided for. You are now saved. And from that truth, we can make this simple statement. Christian discipleship, praise God, is simply growing up into the now of the in Christ life. Now, that can be very hard to hear, and it certainly was hard for me to hear from the Spirit, that no matter how many years I've been going to church or even been in ministry, if I don't see myself as righteous in Christ now, I haven't really been discipled. Now, this is a staggering thing to say. You might say to me before, where does it say that in the Bible? Glad you asked. (laughs) Hebrews 5, 12 and 13 For though by this time, Phalem, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, the Holy Spirit is the author of this word. The Holy Spirit there calls the teaching that a believer is already now righteous in Christ first principles the very foundation that you need to walk in the Spirit. Because if you don't get this, you'll never walk in eternal life now. I mean, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but when you get there, you're going to get an awful shock that the things of heaven you could have walked in today, that the earth would see heaven, the kingdom of God, on the face of the earth today. It's so foundational, it's in the Lord's Prayer. Pray this, that thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That teaching of righteousness, we have taught about this so many times, and it's been offensive to people. I know to hear this teaching that we are righteous in Christ, that we have everything we have, everything we need in Christ today. But you know, the Apostle Paul called this the very power of the gospel. Take that out of the gospel. There's no power. You know the scripture very well in Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of this gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. Why? Because in it is revealed the righteousness of God. Wow. Of God. Not of men. Not of men, of God. That's what the gospel is about. It's not about your righteousness or mine. It's about the righteousness of God. And here's the good news. You have it by the grace of God. If you will receive the grace of God. So we plead with you, do not receive the grace of God in vain. For he has helped you. And he has blessed you. And he has heard you. He has given you his very life. But now the Lord will have by his Holy Spirit the church to grow up to learn how to walk in eternal life, how to operate in eternal life. And we're going to say a little bit about that this morning. Praise God. The power of the gospel is that eternal life is all by the grace of God. Righteousness is of God. And that is why eternal life, the righteous, redeemed, healed, and abundant life of God is for now. For God knows that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's why Christians, God did not make your hope of glory to be Christ in heaven one day. But Christ in you today. No. No. Can you hear the whole creation is groaning for the church to wake up to? No. No. Oh, but Lord, I haven't got myself sorted out yet. No. But Lord, it's the worst day of my life. No. But Lord, you don't see what I've been through? No. Single barren woman, you have never born a child. No! Praise God. But you see, I can't do that. But there are times when I feel this rushing wind within me. I feel the now coming up, you see. We learn to operate in this. I know this is just simply head knowledge. Without any experience, Ruby said, of the breaking of bread, he didn't leave us a doctrine. He came in person. And you know, he gave us his Holy Spirit. They wouldn't have to re- rely simply on remembering something or understanding something up here with our natural understanding. He gave us the very mind of Christ that this experience of now would be something we'll operate in this week. We prayed it this morning, Brian prayed this, that we would feel this now. Now. Rising up. I'm declaring this over you because faith comes by hearing. There's people here and you're going to come to the experience this week where you're talking to somebody and inside you've got this, no. <laughs> That's eternal life. That's what eternal life feels like. That's what it looks like. That's what it senses like. It's now, praise the Lord. Can you hear the whole of creation singing over the church? Awake, now. I had a picture during the week, actually, and it was, uh, remember Gulliver's Travels? Said, Pick Gulliver's Travels? Remember the film Gulliver's Travels? You remember the giant's been tied down by all the tiny little men? He's a giant. He lands on this island. He's a giant. He's surrounded by tiny men, and they have him tied down with a thousand ropes, you know, And he begins to wake up and he can't move, you know. That's the church of Jesus Christ. Asleep to righteousness. Awake to righteousness and sin not. That's what the Bible says. When the church awakes to the message of righteousness, you'll find that the root of all the sins that you're repenting of come down to one root, self. You can spend a lifetime repenting of every sin, but if you don't repent of self-righteousness, you are going round in circles. You'll never make any progress. That's the one that God cuts by the power of his spirit, by the revelation. Praise God. That when you received Christ, you received heaven. Praise God. You received the God of heaven living in you. Multitudes of Christians have been going to church for years and never been discipled in the basics basics of righteousness. And so have never seen that all their needs have been met in Christ. That in Christ, God has heard them. That in Christ, he has helped them so that now today, even in the worst day of their lives, they can be at peace, for they can see by the Spirit that they're learning to live from that nothing in this world can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. And here is the sad result of that lack of discipleship. The multitudes in church still crying out to God to hear them and to help them are vastly outnumbered by the multitudes who have left church, church because they got so disappointed, so heartsick, waiting for God to hear them and waiting for God to help them. And he appears never have done so because they've never heard the gospel. The more religious, the more naturally minded as Christians we are, the more we'll spend our lives waiting around for God to hear us, to help us. For if we refuse the gift of righteousness, to believe that we're already righteous in God's sight, because what of Christ has done, we will never see ourselves as ready for eternal life. We'll never see ourselves as ready to live and operate in God's eternal life now. Because we keep making righteousness about us and our life and not Christ and his life. So what is the antidote? What's the antidote to the sickness of heart in the church? Well, actually, we've been sprinkling that on your cornflakes for about a year now. There it is. Colossians 3, 2 and 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, that's what you're doing this morning, Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. As I'm speaking that, you know, I just really know that the revelation of this is going to bring such a joy to the church that the biggest party that's ever taken place will be in the church of Jesus Christ in the last days. The whole world will be envious of the joy that we have. Do you know when the elder brother stood outside, you know what really annoyed him? The sound of music and dancing. He said, that's not naturally correct. That can't be natural justice. If you're going to throw a party for that guy, throw it after he's paid you back. Don't throw it now, you see? Christian, the party has begun 2,000 years ago. I'm a bit of a latecomer. (laughs) Maybe you're a bit of a latecomer too. Join the party. Praise God. Begin to rejoice now. Praise God in what God has done. You know, one of the responsibilities of ministers of the New Covenant, and that's everybody here, is to set the church's mind on things above, to keep speaking of spiritual things to spiritual people. And one of the things above that we have to learn to think from is God's time. Okay? And God's time is always now. So because of the cross, it's possible for men to live in God's eternal time zone now. There is no new gospel, you see. There's only the everlasting gospel. There's only what has always been true in time and eternity, in God's eternity. In God's eternal life zone, nothing gets old or fades away. Everything just is And from this eternal life, God spoke into being a temporal dimension for men to live in. He allocated them a time, a generation to live in. He even put the sun and the moon in the sky so we could mark time passing. In God's realm of eternity, though, there is no past and future in the sense that God is immutable. He doesn't change. Now, I say all that to make this point. In the realm of God's Spirit, in the heavenly realms, there is only an eternal now, things that are true about God have always been true and always will be true. His character and his will is immutable. It doesn't change. Now, you may say to me, but Philem, what's the point of prayer then? The point of prayer is not to change God. It's that you and I would rise up to see what is, has been, and is eternally true, and we would change what we say and what we speak. For God has given authority to his body. Heavens are to the Lord, but the earth has been given to man that we would speak and we would act in the power of the Holy Spirit and change the situations around us. Praise God. The things that God came to do in the economy of our earthly time are only an appearance to us of what has been eternally true in the heavenly realm. Through Christ, grace has appeared to all men 2,000 years ago, but from before the foundation of the world, his grace was towards us. This is quite an astonishing thing. See, people see grace as a response to sin, but the grace of God existed before sin ever came into being. If you think that's hard to get your head around, try this scripture. Praise God. Second Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before the beginning of time. Oh, Lord, what does that mean? I'll have to get out of my natural mind to understand that. When we talk about grace, we're talking about the eternal purpose of God. The old apostolics, you know, when they talked about the apostolic church, they never talked about the apostolic church as being about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It was about the heavenly vision. It was about the eternal purpose of God, that his church would be in him and operate in that today quite amazing, actually. They're in apostolic church, the first people to ordain prophets and said, a man or a woman can stand and speak, thus saith the Lord. You can't do that, said the natural church. You can't do that. Oh, when you're in the spirit, you can. You try it this week when that now comes up. You speak and the very spirit of God will speak through you and you'll find a reception to the person you're speaking to that you could never have made yourself. But people know when God is speaking to them. The grace of God has been eternally for us eternally now, but to us it had to appear in our passing away time zone. And grace appeared in Christ 2,000 years ago because man needed to see and experience grace. We needed a person, praise God, in order to rise out of the natural, external, self alone life into the eternal, supernatural union with Christ life. Praise God. By faith, and grace must be received. And thanksgiving opens the heart to receive it. And that's why we spend so much time on a Sunday giving thanks, because you're much more able to receive when you give thanks. So in earth time, in Cronus time, the eternal uh, God took on the life of a man, and he came into our passing temporal time. And in the realm of time, the lamb was slain nearly 2,000 years ago in our time. But tell me, in God's eternal time, when was the lamb slain? Before the foundation of the world. Now you may say, oh, Phelan, I can't get my head around all this. I mean, I've never heard this before. Yes, you have. What's the most famous, most popular song in the world besides happy birthday? Amazing Grace. Grace. When we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to praise his name than when we first begun. Why? Because you're living in God's eternal day. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It was never God's intention for you to live a life heart-sickened by always waiting for him to do something, but rather that we would grow to see and live in the truth that in Christ God has already answered, has already fulfilled all of our dreams and more. And the revelation of that turns you into a dynamo, praise God, a river of joy. The revelation that in Christ our dreams have been fulfilled is a tree of life the glorious gospel of God's eternal life given to us. Christ is the tree of life. At the cross, it took place a divine exchange. Our temporal, sinful life was taken into God and we were placed in God's eternal life, God's eternal now, and we're called to live from there. And the Holy Spirit is teaching us to live from there. Before the cross, man was forever waiting for a Savior, and generations came and went, lived and died, waiting for salvation to come, waiting for grace and truth to appear. Before the cross, before Christ came, the heart of every man was like a desert, waiting for the rain, waiting for the source of life. But Jesus came to bring that eternal life, that spring, that river of life that would turn the heart of man into a garden, a garden blossoming with the very life of God, the love of God, the peace of God. Jesus said to a thirsty woman at a well, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. Will never call out to me, When, God, are you going to fill my thirst? When, God, are you going to satisfy me? Because the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Christ is the end of a dimension called waiting for eternal life before the cross, we were waiting for eternal life. After the cross, no man has to live waiting for eternal life, live with his hope deferred, with his heart sick. But the fact is that multitudes of us living since the cross have spent a lifetime waiting for eternal life, because we grew up believing that eternal life, living in God's eternal day, didn't begin until we died. Can you see that binding the church? Let's finish by looking and putting before our minds and setting our minds into Christ's idea of eternal life. From John 17, first three verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Oh, Oh, come on. The hour has come. That's what the Lord is saying to the church right now. The hour has come. The hour has come for the church to stand up. The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now we haven't got time this morning to go into that knowing that uh, Pastor Rubio keeps talking about the genusco, that experiential knowing, as Adam knew Eve and bore a son, so we can know God in a way that bears the very life of God. But I want to point out to you this morning that by Jesus' definition of eternal life, eternal life is entering into in knowing. And notice that Jesus says that he is the one who gives eternal life. This must come from him. This knowing of God comes from God. John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So eternal life is not something we can only know when we die. It is knowing God now, and we can do that now. Why? Because he wants us to. That knowing comes from him through his Spirit. You know, God desires to be known. He desires to be known. He desires that people out there know him. But how are we to communicate that if we will not acknowledge what he has put within us? Final statement. Praise the Lord. We as believers can experience eternal life now by knowing God now. And so operate in that eternal life now. I'm going to finish by giving you an illustration of what it is to operate in that eternal life. The drawing of people to a work of God's Spirit. That has begun, you know. And I mentioned it already. Since we prayed that prayer last week, there were several people uh, shared with me during the week, experiences I've had, both now and in the past, of not being able to witness, not being able to talk to anybody, but there came a moment, there came a day when they felt something come up within them, and two things seemed to happen. The first was, they just found it really easy to talk. It just flowed. And people you'd argue with before, you know. And the second thing was, those people seemed to be really receptive in that moment, they seemed to really take in what you were saying. See, that's an operation of the Spirit of God. That's the eternal now rising up. And I want to encourage you that every person here is able to operate in God's eternal life. If you have been rooted and established in the message of righteousness, the message of grace, then you're not waiting around to operate in eternal life in heaven. What good is that going to do your family? You can, and I can, operate in eternal life today. We can feel rising up within us this eternal now. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8.14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So in God's eternal life, all we've said this morning is, The time is always now. Peter and John one day were walking to the temple, and they passed the gate beautiful. And at the gate, beautiful, sat a man who they'd seen every day. Because beggars always sat on the same place every day. But on that day, a strange thing happened. The beggar spoke to Peter and John. And Peter looked directly at him. And Peter felt something come up within him. He felt a word come up. Can you guess what the word was? No. No. Come here, you. No. No. You can stand up now. No. And you know what the beggar did? (laughs) He stood up. He stood up. You know, there are people in our family we've been praying about for years for salvation to stand up from death to life. In the now, they will stand up. In the now, they will stand up, you know. And I believe that God is saying that now much more frequently than we realize. It's just we've had these veils in our understanding. If you will not accept that you are righteous now, that you are perfect in Christ now, that you stand before God blameless now, then you will spend the rest of your life trying to get yourself cleaned up and really believing that God has never helped you and never heard you. And meanwhile, nobody is operating in the now in our community. And that's going to change because we have this beautiful message that whenever people come to us heartsick of religion from having their hope deferred and asking about God and why he never helped us, we have this beautiful message. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. On the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Praise God. Father, we thank you this morning. Only by your Holy Spirit, Lord, can something break through from the level of the intellect and to the level of the Spirit. And Father, we just make that declaration because you are saying it this morning. This is from you this morning, Lord. You are saying to people here, I will not break a bruised reed. And I will not snuff out what appears to you to be a flickering wick. For you are stronger in me than you know. And in you is eternal life. And in that eternal life, you don't have to wait for a better day. Now is the best day of your life. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of your provision. And so when you believe that, then by faith you can begin to step out of the boat and you can begin to live in the midst of turmoil in perfect peace. And that is the light that will shine in the darkness. When the world in darkness, separated from God, sees a great light the light of a church living in union with God, then they will recognize and repent of living apart from God. So, Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives today. We thank you for our body corporate. I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for your church in this city. And we thank you that this wonderful message of the righteousness of God, of God, is going out across the body and loosing the giant that has been sleeping, that the church would awake to righteousness and blossom, and prosper, and reign in this life, that your prayer would be answered, and people would see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on the earth. We declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.